influential leaders. Here it is, Lenka and Alexander from Earn More Work Less, bringing to you yet another episode of the Influential Executive Podcast. This podcast was extraordinary. Actually, I do believe that we asked the fewest questions we've in the existence of our podcast, right? I think so too. So it was lots of fun. We had today another leadership expert and I just love his stories. There were so many practical tips. We finally understand what business is about and we learned so much about how to be productive and that we often uh, confuse productivity with efficiency, was it? That's right. So I, I had so much fun and this is definitely just the first interview of many to come with Peter. Yeah, I, uh, I very much appreciate his, uh, his fresh view on things. And you know, Peter started one year ago with a new meditation practice. And you can see that that has brought him so many new insights. And much of that came out during this interview. We spoke about how to recognize your ego, mm-hmm. prevent that your ego is blocking you from actually getting ahead. To meditate or not to meditate, that's the question. We spoke about where to find your true focus and how being busy may seem important in the moment, but according to Peter, it's actually a security blanket. So more on that, you will find out during the interview. And of course, this interview was brought to you by Earn More, Work Less. So on earnmorewerkless.com, you find all kinds of strategies to get rid of stress in the office. We give all kinds of superpowers to your team so that you achieve maximum performance with minimum resources. For now, enjoy our interview with Peter Breckman. Peter, welcome to the Influential Executive Podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks so much for having me on the show. You have over 30 years experience working with CEOs. You just made me sound very old. I, I got it from your website, so <laughs> I don't know who put a text on there. I just don't feel that old, but yes, it's true. That's true. That's a true statement. True. It just makes me feel old. Yeah, or you started really early, you know? Who led you in the boardroom when you were 12? Yeah. <laughs> I actually did have a little bit of a sneaky way of getting in the boardroom, in fact. Do you want me to actually answer that question? I could actually answer that question. Well, I would love to have, have the answer to that question because one of the things on my list for this year is to get inside five boardrooms to just sit in on the meetings and listen to what's going on. So any tip, trick, hack that helps me get there, let me know. So I started my career teaching leadership in the outdoors and uh, working with Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School and Outward Bound and using outdoors as a metaphor for teaching leadership. And I I was doing it in college and and I started it. And so when I was brought in to organizations, I I would have a team and the CEO would often be part of that team that I was working with. But the context in which I was working with them wasn't, you know, strategy design or I wasn't thinking about execution. So, you know, some of the stuff that I do now, I wasn't doing with them, but I had an expertise and, and my expertise was of value to them. And so it, it, you know, my expertise was a, a thin slice, right? And it was about leadership, but a certain kind of leadership, a certain way of showing up, a certain tapestry that I painted on as I, you know, was teaching my leadership. and. 
And even at the age of 19 or 20, I had credibility in that arena. I had climbed mountains. I had, you know, kayaked big rivers. I had, you know, I'd run expeditions. I'd led 30 day expeditions. And so I had an expertise that was valuable. And so it put me in a room to talk about what I knew how to talk about and to facilitate what I knew I could facilitate in them without necessarily knowing much about their businesses. And, you know, now with the work that I do, it's, it, 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 you know, it, it requires that I have more credibility with understanding their businesses. And I do because, you know, for 30 years, right now that we know how old I am for 30 years, I've been doing this. But at the beginning, you know, if I was sitting with the, you know, CEO of a bank, I, I don't know anything about a bank, but I do know a lot about how we show up in the context of our teams and in relation to the people around us. I knew a lot about that at that point, and I could teach that. You spend a lot of time with uh, CEOs, many different industries, I can imagine, many different types of companies. Now, what do you remember as the biggest transformation that you have witnessed with a business or a CEO personally? Um, that's a great question. You know, my stories are not about, we've got this awful, terrible, obnoxious jerk of a CEO and he became or she became angelic and, you know, the most powerful leader ever. Those are not my stories. But I, I work with very successful people, helping them to become great leaders, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of successful people who are not yet great leaders, right? You don't have to be a great leader in order to be successful. It's very hard to be a great leader and not be successful. You'd have to work at it, right? Because great leaders are usually very successful. Yeah. But I could give you lots and lots of examples of very successful people who are not great leaders. So I'm already working with people who are, who are successful, which is a great advantage. And they want to lead more effectively. And I, so I don't know that I would say transformation, but I could tell you, you know, there's a leader who I know who I worked with for seven or eight years who literally I worked with, I started with him. I mean, I had worked with him at a previous company, but he came into this company. His name's Don Kenya. Mm -hmm. He was the CEO of FEI company. Oh, you know, FEI maybe because you guys are in the Netherlands, right? Yeah. So FEI has its origins in Philips. And so it's an OCT. So I've been to OCT uh, many times with them, with, with Don and the, and the senior team. And FEI is an organization that's based both in Portland, Oregon and in OCT. Uh, I've been to soccer games in that stadium, which always amazes me that it could hold so many more people than actually live in the town. And yet it always seems full. But I think that's soccer in Europe for you, or football in Europe for you. Like act... What, is that in the in the Netherlands? Oh, you, you know, you have to look at your own map. Um, yes, it's Oct Oct is in the Netherlands. Um, uh, it's it's uh, you know Eindhoven. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Eindhoven basically. Oct is either next to or another name for Eindhoven. It might be next to Eindhoven. Ah, cool. It's yeah, Eindhoven. and there's one of the biggest clubs in the Netherlands. So I can imagine it was. So that's there. that's what I was amazed when I saw how big the stadium was uh, for football. But so he took this company that was making about $250, $300 million of revenue mm -hmm. and had a stock price of about $18. Mm -hmm. 
And over a period of six or seven years that we worked together, he grew that company to over a billion dollars and eventually sold the company from a stock price that started at $18.50 to a stock price that was $107.50. He did a brilliant job. Wow. He's, he's a, he, he was one of the most fun people to work with and, and we're still close friends. And he, what, what made that so successful is he knew what he was good at and he knew what he wasn't good at. And he knew that the most important thing that he could possibly do was to create a really effective, very particular kind of team around him. And he also had very little ego caught up in it. So, you know, if you give someone feedback and they get offended, that's an ego conversation, yeah. right? They have, they have an ego. Like you've said something that's hurt their ego and so they're going to fight against it. I just wrote a, uh, um, a, an article for Harvard Business Review about the 13 ways we rationalize or block or kind of prevent ourselves from taking in negative feedback. The different things that we say, the way we blame other people or the way we, you know, take it as a point of pride or the 13 different things. Okay. Uh, the number is not magic. It just, I just thought a list of all the things and then Harvard business and I, and I titled it something else. And then Harvard titled it 13 ways we, and, and I was like, Oh, there's the number 13. I hadn't even noticed that it was, <laughs> but, but it's a number of ways. So he didn't block feedback like that. He didn't excuse things. He didn't, um, have an ego problem with, with, he didn't get defensive mm -hmm. and and so it made learning really, really easy, right? Because I could say to him, hey, you see when you're doing this, this, look at the effect it's had, right? If, you, you know, if you're yelling at people, it's not inspiring them. It does the opposite. They, they will comply, but they'll get much less creative and much less, uh, they'll have much less ownership or they'll fulfill your specific words, but not your intent. So you know, early on, you know, we asked this question, how do I become inspiring? Like, I want to be inspiring. And and it doesn't mean standing on a, you know, on a, on a platform and speaking and articulating and gesticulating in ways that are dynamic. That, that doesn't have to do it. Inspiring could be, I have a real vision for this company. Right now we're a hardware company. And what we really need to be is a software service company, even though what we're still selling is hardware. Mm -hmm. And how do we make that? That's an exciting kind of transformation. How do we make it? And what, what I think he would say, what I would say is, um, the two critical things that we did was one is we articulated what I call the big arrow, which is what is the most important thing to achieve that will really align and collectively bring everybody together that we can really prioritize over everything else. And the second is how do you build a senior leadership team who is more focused and committed to the purpose that we're trying to achieve mm -hmm. than to their own personal individual success? And I can tell you that there are people who came on the team and a couple months later couldn't take it, like we're the wrong people. And, and we had to ask to leave the team or didn't fit in the team because they were, because of ego issues, because they were too defensive, because they were jockeying for power in a way that just didn't fly, just didn't work. So creating a team where we really were all focused on the same thing and we prioritized that thing over individual needs and then being really, really clear about the transition that we're making as an organization. I think those were amazing. And so the reason I, I started with this caveat about transforming leaders is I think there's ways in which he transformed, but he was already 
really successful and really great. And he transformed a company. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, he became a great leader. There are leaders, by the way, who were fantastic in that organization at 300 million and were essential to getting to 300 million. And they were even really, really good at helping him and the company and us get to 500 million. Mm-hmm. But they weren't the right people to get to 700 million. Now, how hard is it to say to someone, you've been an amazing soldier, you've done and an amazing leader, and you've done great things, and your reward for growing us to this point in the recognition that you're not going to grow us to the next point is very humanly, very responsibly, very generously, but letting you go. Because we, ha- you know, we have to keep growing. And you're not the person who's going to keep growing, even though you've done a great job. I see so many companies stuck because people do a great job and then there's even a commitment to them. And it's a nice commitment and it's caring, but it stunts everybody's growth, their growth, the company's growth, et cetera. So you have to be willing to have those conversations. And I, you know, he transformed a company beautifully and I was very happy to be a part of it. Peter, I'm I'm curious, speaking about ego, what do you do when you work, and do you even work, with leaders who do have a rather big ego? What do you do in those cases? Right. So, you know, let's not exclude present company. Um, I, you know, I, we all have egos, right? We all have egos. Yeah. So, so the question is, do you do the work you need to do in order to manage yourself in those ego moments. So you could say to me, hey, Peter, you know, this podcast is really not going well. Like you're, you know, like this last question, you talked for 10 minutes and you didn't pause for a breath. And so we didn't get another question in and that's <laughs> really how we like to do podcasts. And, and really like on a scale of one to 10, you're failing uh, in the realm of doing this podcast. And now let's just say for the sake of argument, you said that. Um, I would feel it. Like I would feel the, oh God, like I really like doing well on podcasts. I like having conversations. I like teaching. Like here's what I, I devote my life to writing, coaching, and teaching mostly about leadership. That's what I care about. So now if you're going to tell me I'm doing that poorly, like I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm, you know, having a conversation, right? But it's, this is in the realm of teaching about leadership, right? This is like, we're, we're, there's a lot of people listening. Hi, everybody. And we're teaching them um, elements of leadership. So if you were to say to me, Peter, you are doing a terrible job at this thing, by the way, that you consider to be your life work. I would feel that my ego's involved, right? I'd like to be very, I'd like to be the best at this, right? I mean, I'm, I'm very happy actually for amazing people to be around me who are also the best at it because I care more about, you know, leadership than I do about my being the best, right? I care more about leadership. So if there's a hundred of us doing this, then, and the, and the level of leadership in the world goes up, I'm happy, right? That's what I want. I, I see everybody as collaborators at this, not competitors. And yet, if you tell me I'm doing a poor job, and then if you said maybe just to like twist the knife a little more, And you know, this other guy who we just had a podcast, he did a great job, right? So now you're saying, you know, you, Peter, are doing a terrible job. And, and that's very unusual for us because all of our guests do better than you. So here's the thing. I'm going to feel that, right? I'm going to feel it. And it's my ego that feels it, mm-hmm. right? If I didn't have an ego, if I didn't have a healthy enough amygdala, 
right? Which is the part of my brain that's kind of reptilian and that, that reacts to things emotionally. Then I, maybe I could just take that in and go, huh, that's interesting. Well, let's think about the three things I should do, to, you know, not feel anything. Yeah. Um, but that wouldn't be very good either because then I wouldn't be able to connect with you or the listeners or anybody else, right? Because I, I wouldn't even know what it is to, to connect. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to feel it. So the difference between being an effective leader in that moment and being a poor leader, and this is, you know, in answering to your question, what do I do to teach people who do take it personally, is practices that help you witness and notice what it is that's going on for you and not be carried away with it, mm -hmm. right? So if you said it to me, I could take a breath. And by the way, pretending I don't feel hurt, pretending I have no ego, pretending I don't feel hurt by a comment, like that's the worst thing because it's not true and it will leak out in insidious ways. So if you, I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, I'm, I, I teach this to people all the time. I love feedback. So give me more feedback. That's great. That doesn't bother me. And then I'm going to say something really mean to you later on in the podcast, but I'm going to be smart enough to do it in some way that it could be like taken for like part of the teaching I could use you as an example in a way that makes you not look very good or something. And, and, and I'm going to feel a little better now. And, I, and that's the game that leaders play a lot. And I want to shortcut that game. And I go, no. So yeah, that hurt. But um, that's okay. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's normal that it would hurt. And this is really good feedback. So I'm not going to get carried away by the hurt. And I'm not going to repress it and pretend it doesn't happen. And then, you know get you in some other way that makes me feel better, right? But, but also disconnects us and makes you hate me in the end. Um, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to feel it. And then and I'm going to have practices that help me feel it, like meditation that helps me feel things, like breathing in the moment, <sighs> taking a breath and kind of recentering myself, regrounding myself, and then say, okay, got it. And um, I felt it. And there's good data here. I got to change something. So maybe the thing I should change is, um, you know, pause more instead of talking the whole time and letting you ask more questions. Yeah. And, and now I could take in that feedback and then like I'm about to do now, I could actually follow it. That's awesome. So sweetheart, we have about one question left because uh, all the answers of Peter are rather extensive. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take that as feedback that maybe I should talk you know, in shorter spurts. The, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> the, the beauty of these podcast interviews is that the only thing that really matters is that you get to express yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that we get to showcase you to our audience because what I see happening right here is that a longer answer already covers three yeah. or four of the questions we have lined up. So that's the beauty. It's all Great. About I love that. Thank it's you. It's all about See, the And here's the thing about feedback, which is people can get carried away by positive feedback too, right? So the same way a leader could get carried away by the negative feedback, they could be like, yeah, that's right. I'm a great podcast interviewer. I'm probably <laughs> the best podcast interviewer you ever had, right? And then, and then I get carried away in that way. And that's not useful either, yeah. right? So it's great to be able to, like, this is a great example of, like, you just take it in and it's a part of it. And there's a place in you that it sits and you breathe and you feel it all, but you don't hold on to it. And then it leaves and then you go to the next thing. That's how I teach, that's how I teach people to manage themselves in the context of very complex, ambiguous, you know, everyday leadership yeah. situations.
love it yeah exactly you you, you detach yourself and you observe knowing that you're not perfect surrender it, do you recommend every leader to have some kind of meditation practice i definitely recommend that every leader have some kind of practice right so uh, meditation practice may be right for some people may not be right for others i believe in it i meditate twice a day once in the morning once in the afternoon for 20 minutes um, I've been, you know, I've always meditated all my life, but, but this 20 minutes morning and afternoon I've done for over a year now and I haven't missed a day. Wow. And, and I, and I find it very grounding. In fact, it's a little hard for me to describe to you what it does for me. I know it relaxes me, but it's hard for me, but I could tell you that without a doubt, it does something that makes my life more grounded. And when I look at the shifts and changes in my life over the past year, um, they have been absolutely impacted by that practice. But you might have other practices, right? I think whatever, I, I do think it's really important to have a practice that grounds you in who you are as a human being. When we're leaders, we're in a role. I'm the leader. And we often disassociate humanness with role. Mm -hmm. So you know, as a leader, I shouldn't be vulnerable. As a leader, I shouldn't be sad or angry. As a leader, I have to be angry in order to rev up the truth. Whatever it is we think of as the role of leader. And I think what's most important is that we don't lose our humanity, our humanness in the context of the role. But I'm still a person. So, you know, that comes back to what we were talking about. If you say something to me and I feel something, that's, that's what human beings do. That's what it means to be a human being. If I make too big a thing of it, I'm getting carried away with my humanness and I lose sight of my role. If I try to ignore it completely, I'm making it too big a thing of my role and I lose my humanness. So it's really about holding both of those together at the same time. That's, that's really good. And it, it reminds me also something that I learned about productivity. And that is, if you wanna be more productive, then first of all, make an effort to not mess up. To not make mistakes, because yeah. all of us, we have such a bias towards action. We want to be busy all the time. And if we're not doing something, we instantly feel guilty trying to think of something that we can do. Right, right. Yeah, busyness is not useful, but it's very seductive. Yeah, and addictive. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, it's not just that. It's, especially if you've been busy for a while, when suddenly we're not busy, it's scary. It's scary. It's scary to suddenly have time on your hands. And it, it opens up all of these questions like, who am I in imposter syndrome? And like, am I, you know, am I important? Am I useful? Am I, do I value? And do I even know what I'm doing? Like, like yeah. busy, busy is a security blanket, right? And, and not busy is like nudity right it's like it's like i'm exposed and and so we hold on to our security blankets and it really like i never really thought of it until this moment but that's a great metaphor for busyness right is the security blanket that we really hold on for life and death yeah i like it sweetheart write it down <laughs> <laughs> alex always likes to take uh, take notes and i really appreciate it because he remembers so much uh, Peter, I have a question. You said that you meditate twice a day. 
20 minutes right. and 20 minutes in the morning and in the afternoon. Now, lots of people that I meet, they say, well, I tried it, it didn't work out, don't have really practice, don't have time. So what is the number one rule when it comes to managing your own time? Right. So first of all, I am not someone who is not busy, right? I'm working to become less busy. And I noticed that some of my busyness absolutely comes from that existential angst place, right? Like when I'm suddenly not busy, you, you know, all these things bubble up, which is, by the way, one of the things I like about meditation because things bubble up. And if you commit to the practice, then you start to become comfortable with your humanness because you can't control what bubbles up. That's not up to you. Whatever bubbles up is what, you know, is bubbling up for you. So you don't, it's not your choice. And so you have to just sit with it. Um, and, you know, in terms of productivity, I, um, I'm going to, I'm just going to answer what, you know, like I've written a book about it, right? But I'm going to answer what comes to me, what's coming to me right now, which is um, there are ways in which you can, really plan your productivity and there's ways in which i think you can't um what i mean by that is you know in my book in 18 minutes right which is my book on productivity with a great sub i'm going to say the subtitle because it's a great one find your focus master distraction get your most important work done right Ooh. like who doesn't want that <laughs> right? That's right in bookstores now um so so the goal you have to say what is my focus for the year right? And people talk about elevator speeches and people talk about what you do and like really clear. And I talk about for organizations, the big arrow, that's really, really important, right? Like what's, and then you derive it from that. So you decide what you're going to do. You cut everything else out. Warren Buffett says, you know, take your top 20 priorities, mm -hmm. write down your top 20 priorities. Now circle the top two and cross out all the others, right? That's how you get stuff done. So I think that's true. And and yet, I will tell you, I, so I've been writing about this, I've been doing this work, I've been, and it is literally in the last few days when I have truly figured out my focus in a crisp way that allows me to truly make decisions in every element of my life, in every part of my life, about how I want to live my life and spend my time that derives out of it. And so what I'm telling you is I wrote this book in 2011. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this work way before then. It, I, I've been in the ballpark. It's not like I've been, you know, fixing toilets and now I'm like, oh my God, I actually should do leadership, right? That's not that. But I want to say is it takes some time and not to be hard on yourself about being too efficient in the process of figuring out how you want to be productive. We confuse efficiency with productivity all the time, right? If I want to be really, really efficient, every word that I write, I'm going to publish. If I want to be productive, I'm going to spend a whole bunch of time creating things that aren't, you know, that I'm kind of playing with and et cetera, that I can really sort of do something that's in the world that I care about. If I do too much of that, by the way, then I never get anything out. And I have a, you know, really important book in my drawer that I never, you know, that I never finished because it's not perfect. But being productive is not efficient, actually. 
being productive requires some time. And so literally I would say, you know, I've been doing this work for 30 years and literally, and, and I'll tell you what it is because you'll probably ask, Yes. but I have to say it's going to feel incredibly anticlimactic to you, <laughs> right? It, it has the potential of feeling incredibly anticlimactic. And, and, and yet for me, it's like world changing. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to say like, it takes time. And the most important step in productivity in many ways is to understand like where you're devoting, what your devotion is, what you're devoting yourself to mm. and what you love and what you care about and what you want to spend your time on. And I always sort of kind of knew it, but, um, but, it, but not in the same way that I do now. I love it. And that's like literally for the first time that someone so openly says, just clearly understand what your passion or devotion is about. Because lots of leaders, they talk about, well, passion is great, but that's not what you're going to make a business from, right? So you would say that it's the opposite, like figure out what is it that you really, really love doing and then do it. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not saying like follow your passion and the money will find your passion and the money will follow, or I'm not saying, but I'm saying, and, and, you know, I mean, Adam Grant has recently written uh, against the idea of just following your passion. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say a hundred percent. And it's, and it's not just, you know, it's the clarity that comes with that. Why would you devote your life to something you don't care about? Like why? Like, what a waste of a life. Like, what a waste of a life, right? It's t why would you do that? And by the way, here's the thing. If you devote your life to something you're passionate about and it succeeds, it's the holy grail, right? It's amazing. If you devote your life to something you're passionate about and it doesn't succeed, at the very least, you've devoted your life to something you're passionate about. It's been a good life, right? If you devote your life to being successful, disregarding what you're passionate about if you succeed you've gotten something you've gotten money we know it's not correlated with happiness but whatever at least you're rich if you've devoted your life to something you're not passionate about and you fail you've got nothing you end up with nothing you've had a miserable life and it hasn't amounted to anything so if at least it's not going to amount to anything have some fun in the process right and care about what it is that you're trying to create, really try to create it. That's my view. Yeah. Have some fun in the process. Most people are so much focused on an outcome that is somewhere created in their mind, somewhere vaguely in the future, and they have a shit time all the way pushing through to something that doesn't really exist and will never really come into reality. So when you have fun in the process, now you're present in the current right. moment. You can enjoy what you're doing and have a smile on your face. Right, 100%. And you know, I, so I, I, I sort of recently discovered that I was still not clear, right? When I, even though I've written four books and I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a brand, like I, I, I'm not new to this gig and, and I've been teaching it for a while. And, but I was, I was in an NPR interview and I was navigating it super skillfully. Like it was fun. It was challenging. I was asking these, you know, answering these nuanced questions around leadership and leaders in ways that, you know, the, the producer was, who was also the interviewer at the time, Charlie Herman, was very happy with. 
And then he said, great. That was great. We got what we need. Now, just say your name and a sentence about what you do, describing what you do, so that we have that on the thing. And I tried, and then I tried it again. And then like six times, I tried to say, here's the sentence of what I do. And finally, he's just laughing at me and saying, look, Peter, this is the easy part of the interview. You've done the hard part of the interview. We've been talking for 45 minutes, and you nailed it, right? All I'm asking you for is what you do, right? And you can't tell me in a sentence what you do. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I help leaders become more successful, and I, you know, like, I work with the teams, and, I, and I'm not, you know, like I... I, I mean, my mother's still trying to figure out what I do. She doesn't really understand it, but I, you know, I run leadership programs and, and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And so I was, I was telling this to a friend of mine and uh, a guy named Mark Baker. He's, he actually is a very close friend of mine. He happens to be an Orthodox rabbi, very, very smart guy. Uh, he runs a very large not-for-profit in Boston now. And, and I was telling him the story and he goes, oh, <laughs> I, I, it's easy. I could tell you how I describe you. I describe you as, oh, Peter, he writes, coaches, and teaches mostly about leadership. <laughs> Anticlimactic, right? But I'm like, oh, that's what I do, right? <laughs> it's not like a canned speech, and it's not like an elevator speech, which I really hate elevator speeches. And it's not like, it's like I, I write, I coach, and I teach mostly about leadership. And there's an outcome piece, right? Which is that I help successful people become great leaders, create exceptional teams, and inspire their organizations to create great results. That's my elevator speech. That's the outcome of what I do. But it sounds like an elevator speech to me. Like, it, it's important for me to keep focused on because I know that's where I'm headed. But it just sounds like I'm selling you something as soon as you ask me, oh, Peter, what do you do? You know, I help successful people become great leaders, create very effective stellar teams, and inspire their organizations to make amazing results. And you're asleep before I have said the word amazing, right? <laughs> and, and, and you also think I'm selling you something. But so that's the outcome of what I do. But now when I actually put those two things together and I think when I wake up in the morning, you want to know what I want to be to be productive, I want to say, okay, I want to spend as much of my time as possible writing, coaching, and teaching mostly about leadership. That's where I want to spend my time. If I do it right, then the eventual outcome is successful people will become great leaders. The teams they run will become stellar. Yeah. And their organizations will feel inspired and they'll achieve great results. That's true for me. It's very easy for me to then say that and suddenly a million things fall into place. Mm -hmm. If I want to be productive, I can't do these 12 things and I got to focus on these three. Very simple, very easy. But what I want to say to listeners is knowing that, like sitting down now and writing that sentence out for yourself, great. And there's a million workshops to do it, but don't try. Because, I mean, you could try because you might have fun trying and maybe you'll hit on it. But it's, it's a process that, that, you know, that, that moves on its own. And would I have gotten to the place I'm in right now if I hadn't been meditating 20 minutes twice a day for over a year? I don't actually think so. Right? And I can't, t I can't shortcut that process. But what I know is you keep working at it and you keep playing with it and you get it at a certain point and it changes everything and you become much more productive as a result. Yeah. 
you you probably noticed uh, that uh, what you just told that it made Lenka laugh a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going for. A little bit. It's just like literally you described um, Alexander. It's just like it was. We were trying like lots of coaches, big coaches from United States. Like you have to that one sentence right that describes you. And we both were sitting and ten sentences, twenty sentences, and Alex is like, I just. She can't crack it. Like I don't, I don't know. It just seems like way too long. Now, it's very similar to what you just described. It's, it's a process, and it sometimes is very simple. Uh, yeah, what do you want to say, Alex? Yeah, well, the thing is, when you're inside the box, you can't read the label. So right. often you do need an outside perspective, like your friend. It's just right. like, yeah, but you just do this, right? You're like, yeah, it was so <laughs> obvious to him. And I was like, wow, Mark, you don't understand. This is huge. I've been playing with this for 30 years. And he goes, I, you know, it was just part of the moment. Like, uh, you know, it was, it was just like what he saw and, and what he thought. I mean, yeah, he's a super smart guy. Um, but, it's, but it was just his perception of me and it landed. And by the way, we might be having this conversation in three years and I might feel like, you know, I've shifted it a little bit. Yeah. But that's also because I shift because I'm a human being. That's okay. Um, but so it doesn't mean we don't work to understand that, but it means we don't spend all of our time trying to figure it out before we're productive. Because part of what work does is it informs you of mm -hmm. your passion. You don't have to wait to figure out your passion before devoting yourself to something. Devote yourself to something that you think is your passion. And I promise you, in no time, you'll know if it is or not, or you'll know how to tweak it. I've been tweaking my business and my coaching practice and my own leadership for 30 years and so like you just keep tweaking it but you tweak it in the context of action in the context of actual work that informs you brilliant i'd like to invite you for the last round of our um, podcast structure and that is a rapid fire question round are you up uh -oh. For a little challenge. All right, I'm up for a challenge. So we're gonna start with some word associations and the challenge is to answer by one word and one word alone. Okay. And at the end, there will be some bit longer questions. And again, the answer is one word. Okay, for the record, I have no idea what they're gonna ask me. Go ahead. But it you can ask. First word, leader. Yes. I mean, you said, you said whatever comes to me and one word. This is the most <laughs> random answer we have. Got. I appreciate that you go with the association. So the yes, next word is success. I mean, I can't say yes again, so I'm going to have to be more thoughtful about it. Um, uh, care. Spirituality. Um, the first word that came to me was depth. Happiness. Whole being. Inspiration. Love. Partnership. Um, connectedness. Team. Collectiveness. Vacation. Ah. <laughs> Money. Hangups. <laughs> Intuition. Skillful. 
Freedom. Matters. Performance. Also matters. Sorry, two words. <laughs> Who is your biggest role model? Hmm. Um, you know, I'll just tell you the first person who came to my mind. I have a lot of role models. But the first person who came to my mind was a man named Alan Rosenfield. He's a friend of mine. He died maybe 15 years ago now. He was the dean of the School of Public Health at Columbia. Um, I'm very close with his whole family. Uh, he and I used to ski together. And he, he like alone, I mean, not alone, he, he built the organizations. But that fundamental, I mean, he saved millions of lives. He worked on family planning in Thailand. He wrote a seminal paper about putting the M back in maternal health care. Maternal health care was all about, all about the babies and the women were dying. And he really was an advocate for the women. Um, and, and he's a role model, first of all, because he, you know, and I, I hadn't thought of it in this way, but I'll tie it to what we were talking about earlier on in the podcast. He had such a seamless union and mutual importance of his role and his humanness. He was very, very human. I mean, he was my friend. He was many, many years older than me, but he was my friend. And we, you know, we'd go on trips together and we would just hang out and talk together. And he had this incredibly uh, public and important role in the world. And he never let his role overwhelm his humanness. Uh, and, and he was just a good guy and an important man in the world to me. So that's who I, that's who I come up with. It's amazing. So the very last question uh, before we close off uh, this rapid fire um, question around is, what is the number one personal development book that you would recommend to everyone? Huh. The number, and I can't name my own books. Of course, you can name your own books, but we, we are going to name them anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, the most important personal development book. I have to stop thinking. I mean, the, my last book that I wrote feels like my most important book. And so that's the thing that comes to me. But... Um, but I'm going to hold off on suggesting that. Uh, and I want to think about, God, I mean, I read so many because I have my own podcast, right? So I read over a hundred books a year wow. and, um, and picking up. Oh, you really, this is a hard rapid fire. There's a lot of really great books. Hold on. I'm going to look up at my bookshelf above my desk here and see um, if anything particularly comes to mind i have to take a step back because i have to look at the next layer down <laughs> um, you know what i'll say is like it's interesting because I, I read a lot of these personal development books and leadership development books but when i look at my my own bookshelf which is actually to my right which is like my personal books like these are all my workbooks up here you can't really see anything but these are my and um, the shelf that I am most connected to, that I most like being there, is my shelf on like spirituality. And there's a lot of stuff on Buddhism there, there's stuff on Judaism, there's stuff on Christianity. 
And I think getting in touch with the sort of spiritual religious, and I use the words differently, but together, um, element feels really important to me. Mm-hmm. So I would kind of answer, I mean, I could give you a Buddhist book that I've read recently, but, but what I would say is pick a religion, it could be your own, and pick a book, you know, or it could be a spiritual practice, and pick a book in that realm, off the shelf of that arena, and read that. And I, I bet that'll be the most profound development uh, reading that you can do. I don't know if that's right, but give it a chance. Give it a shot. I like it for sure. And then, uh, you know, it's all these higher wisdoms and then your ability to apply it in real life and see how these basic principles are maybe much more fundamental than some of the rules and beliefs you got programmed with throughout your life. Right. And, you know, my book, which you guys will talk about, I guess, but is leading with emotional courage. Yeah. Emotional courage is all about the um the ability to take things and actually apply them to follow through emotional courage is the willingness to feel things so if you think for a second of a conversation you're not having right an important conversation a conversation you know you should have maybe actually while i'm looking at the two of you because you're in a relationship like think between you is there something you're not saying that's probably important to say that you've been wanting to say but you haven't said so think about that and then think about why you haven't said it Mm -hmm. and i'm willing to bet you know everything you need to know You've had time and opportunity and you're skilled enough. Yeah. So why not have that conversation? And the answer is because there's something you don't want to feel because you might feel disconnection or you might feel conflict or you might feel, you know, someone else's uh, withdrawal or passive aggression, whatever. You don't want to feel it. And because you don't want to feel it, you don't follow through on something that's important. And if you're willing to feel everything, if you're willing to feel the disconnect and the conflict, if you're willing to feel everything, you can do anything. And so the key to this follow through is cultivating your emotional courage, your willingness to feel things and move forward. And so to me, I, like why I think about that book is because, and you know, kind of riffing off of what you just said around application, that's all about application. It's all about kind of applying what you learn in a practice. Brilliant. That's a beautiful message to close off this conversation. Thank you very much for everybody listening right now thinking, this Peter guy, he says some things that make sense. I would like to hear more of him. Where do they go? Are you on social media? What's your website? Put it all up. Yeah, if you go to bregmanpartners.com, B-R-E-G-M-A-N-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S, bregmanpartners.com, you can get everything. You can connect with me on social media, email. You can look at our website, everything. Sounds great. Awesome. Peter, thank you so much for this beautiful and fun interview. I wish you a beautiful day. And we're definitely going to, in the show notes, mention all of the links, links to your book so that people know how to find you. Thank you. It's been my great pleasure. It's a lot of fun talking with you guys. So thank you for bringing out, uh, you know, kind of bringing this out in me because it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Peter. It's such a pleasure. Guys, I am going to order Peter's books because I am blown away. It was so much fun and I know that I say it a lot. And I'm just I'm just wondering what makes Peter so special. I do believe the fact that he is so open. He says so much about himself and he speaks about ego and it made me yet again think a lot about where my ego appears and how can I work with it and it's okay to have emotions as long as we do not really react to them. 
that we always act from a place of love. So I was, I was really, really, yeah, impressed. Yeah, if you have been listening to this interview, you may want to also check out the YouTube video where you can see his liveliness and yeah. his authenticity. One thing that stood out for me is the place that Peter gave to spirituality. Yes. So in business, we like to play roles and appear like we're made of stone. But the reality is nobody's made of stone. Yeah. And an even deeper reality is we are not our bodies. We are spirits having a human body experience. So bringing this to the foreground and applying this on how to act as a leader in a business, that was something that was really special for me. And I'm happy that this yes. is the message that he's passing on. So to stay in touch with Peter, you heard him, bragmanpartners.com. That's where you can find all of his information. He's on Twitter, at Peter Bregman on LinkedIn as Peter Bregman and Facebook at Peter Bregman Advisor. That's it. And of course, if you want to learn more strategies on how to get rid of stress in the office, more superpowers for your team, go to earnmoreworkless.com slash blog. This is full with articles that help you get more done with less resources immediately today. That was it for today. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I hope you came out of this interview inspired, ready to make this day the most beautiful, most fun, most productive day of your career. Let's go out and all have some fun.